Hey folks and welcome to a Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Schindler's List, directed by Steven Spielberg, Private Parts by Betty Thomas, we have newly released Till by Chinoye Chuku, Bones and All by Luca Guadagnino, and Spirited by Sean Anders. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay on my end. How was your? Uh, how was your interesting week of movies you had here? <laughs> it is a, it's a Thanksgiving plate of movies. <laughs> That's the note for the week, yeah, folks. It's I kind of like the array because it's all over the place. It is really all over the place. <laughs> I, you know, holiday travels. I, I kind of had to do what I had to do this week, but we got the five done. So. Uh, I'm pretty pleased. Yeah, I'm actually pretty pleased with what you have here. Yeah, yeah, and it was a, a, a good week of movies. Movies. Uh, this wasn't a bad week of movies. Yeah. So. And again, three, it's, I tell you what, we are not dry on new releases. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. If anything, we're backlogged with it. Yeah. So. Oh, so true. Yeah. Uh, you want to get started right away? Sure, sure. Okay, folks. So we are jumping back to 1993. Uh, this is a big, big named movie. <laughs> it was winner of the Oscars for Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Writings and Screenplay, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction. Best Film Editing, Best Music. It was also nominated for Best Actor in a Lead Role, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Costume mm-hmm. Design, Best Sound, and Best Makeup. Cool. So it was a heavy hitter. Heavy hitter for it, Spielberg. It was based on the 1982 novel Schindler's Ark. Yes. It has a powerhouse cast, writing, and directing crew here. Yeah. Then this is Schindler's, Schindler's List. <laughs> Why the hell did you watch it during Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was it on your radar for it? I'm glad we're finally covering it. Yeah, This yeah. was not even on our um, original kind of OG list, you for know, sure, before for the sure. people knew about us. Mm-hmm. So kind of talk us through how you got here, and then talk us a little bit through us. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, folks, you might think I'm crazy for watching this film out of the blue. You might think it's crazy that we are layering it <laughs> next to... <laughs> Albert Stern's private parts, uh, but but uh, we have a very structured few weeks uh, coming up, uh, and exciting for that reason. We have some really good content coming out uh, along with the releases, and yeah. uh, it has been on my mind. Uh, Spielberg, as far as directing, he's coming out swinging with the Fablemans, which is his crack at this mature family coming-of-age drama genre that has been, you know, uh, we've been covering quite Quite a bit, honestly. He's getting his crack at it. I wanted to see what is widely considered Spielberg's best. Yeah, it is widely considered, and that's so crazy to think because it's among so many. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. would you say? I mean, this and man, 
Jaws. He released well, Jurassic Park the very same, the same year. year. He he did both of these films, monumental in their own when right. When you look at his decades, it's un yeah, it's, it's unreal. It's it's wild. And I don't think he's. I hope we get one more great decade of him. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of projects coming up. He's in his mid seventies now. Oh wow, I so, didn't even know that old. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, look at his filmography. But yeah. it's crazy how long he kept it up. He, in my opinion, I believe he breaks the Quentin Tarantino ten films. Oh yeah. I mean, look at Save a Private Ryan, which we covered recently. Amazing. Amazing. Did we cover recently? Not on the podcast. I think I, I, uh, going back pre-podcast or right before the podcast, I revisited Save a Private Ryan. Okay, that's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, but we, of course, we did all the Jurassic Barks and JP1. Absol- that's the best. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's crazy to think that this is his best and it very well could be. And yeah. like you said, critically, because it's just that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea is we'll touch this and we will be covering Fablemans. Yes. Uh, later on, which I know people are excited for. Mm-hmm. So going back to 93, it's it's quite the film. Uh, and seven Oscar wins mm-hmm. under its belt. I know, and five more nominations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three hour and 15 minute film, too. Uh, so <laughs> an upward battle for me. It's funny how Spielberg has this roller coaster, mm-hmm. and you want and you look at some Spielberg films, and it's like, mm, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> and some of the latest ones for sure. Right, just very um, popcorn. And then you have these that he just strikes it so well, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think he gets a lot of help. I mean, the writer here is Zalion, Stephen Zalion. He was writer for American Gangster, Gangs of New York, The Irishman. Wow. He directed and wrote all the King's Men. Really? So he was just, yeah. Wow. Powerhouse. Powerhouse is yeah. right. But getting into the film, mm. and when was the last time you watched it? Ooh, tough question. A long time. Yeah, probably Ooh. like in like in high school or maybe even Oh, it maybe must have been earlier. great to sit down with yeah, this Yeah, yeah. All right, so take us through it a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is a heavy film. Uh, don't get me wrong. That three hours and 15 minutes is uh, is a lot to take in. Um, uh, among the many feathers in his cap, though, uh, this really might just be the best. And, and again, I think it's amazing that he released Jurassic Park in the very same year. It doesn't make sense, yeah. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, how, how do you do that? I looked into it briefly. <laughs> And I guess he was in post-production for one while he was filming the other, but uh, but yeah. And like I said, Spielberg has been on my mind as of late uh, for him trying to tackle that that family drama, that mature coming-of-age drama. So excited to to see this, and he did not disappoint. I feel this movie, you know, really deserves all of the credit it gets. And it really serves a dual role. It, it, um, it's, a, it's an amazing film in the sense that it serves a role as a documentary and a story, which is a little bit of a theme, at least in the first three films we have on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But this one, very specifically, it has almost an identical dual function uh, as, or not identical, but almost equal dual function as documentary and story. Uh, the film is based off of the World War II uh, biography Schindler's Ark, as we said, uh, and that is centered on Oscar Schindler. Uh, but also, it, the film itself, it really aims to be a historical account of Jewish victims uh, surrounding the story. Uh, we see this through many scenes with texts explaining events, terminology, mm-hmm. uh, important dates, and, and progression of, uh, of the Holocaust here. So Liam Neeson, I would say, is huge in this. I can't say what I would what would be Liam Neeson's greatest role. This is definitely up there. 
Top three for sure. Yeah, I don't know what else it would be other than this. Yeah. I always thought Taken? That, <laughs> no, I'm no. joking. I'm joking. It's funny how Taken was his like revival. I guess so. But not really. Yeah. I think Taken was what finally... Um, put, put the coffin. Yeah, well, <laughs> pitch, coffin. not pigeonholed. What's the word? What's it's the typecast. Uh, uh, yes, And he's been true. ever so typecast. He's been which is a huge old shame. action man ever since. Yeah. Yeah, such a shame. Such yeah. a shame. Um, but no, this is known, I think, as his greatest. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, we, we see, you know, many, many moments... Uh, that he is able to balance a complex character of Schindler. You know, he is described as an industrialist for a reason. Oscar was a war profiteer and a very, very complicated character to make our protagonist. Uh, chunks of the film highlight this rise uh, to power and rise to, to riches for him, and it even flirts with a slight optimistic tone every now and again, despite the reality of you know what's going on around him and what he's profiteering on. However, Neeson never loses slight sight of that internal logic his character has, or Oscar specifically as a, as a historical person, uh, has for accepting the circumstances and, yeah. and working with the circumstances. Uh, there is much more baked into his performance than you would think. I would say constantly the harsh truth will come to light in some way for Oscar. Uh, and Neeson's acting shows subtle rationalization that a true capitalist like like Oscar Schindler was uh, would make, uh, and I think that just takes it up a notch so much for his performance. Mm -hmm. He yeah. really has this. You see it registering. You see the truth hit him, and him trying to you know come back with some sort of rationalization. It's just very good acting, and what it leans on is a lot of acting is reacting. A lot of acting is the oh, subtleties yeah. of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's on full display here with Neeson's performance. So his whole demeanor, I think, goes in his favor. Him as a person. Neeson. Sure. Yeah. I think he was just very good for the role. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, but we are introduced to the truth and the reality and the horror of the Jewish Holocaust in Ralph Fiennes' character, uh, Amon Goeth. Uh, I think it's Goeth, uh, it's pronounced. Uh, a few different pronunciations in the film, I'm guessing because, you know, German and Polish stuff. So. Right, right. <laughs> I think it's Goeth, but <laughs> there are a few. There are a few punches, I think, held when we're looking at Oscar Schindler's character. However, there are no punches held on showing the true evil of the Nazis in this. And Ralph Fiennes plays the the villain uh, in taking this from just a, hor uh, just a historical depiction to making it a story. And I think that's the important aspect here. There are a lot of moments where this film is full-on documentary, mm -hmm. that it kind yeah. of steps away from any kind of dramatic storytelling and is just about serving, you know, the message and 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 telling, you know, the 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 reality of the story here. Uh when it comes to the the storytelling that is done, which is a fine line here. It's it's in Liam Neeson's performance and Ralph Fine's uh, performance because it's 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 very interesting. There there's not they're not good characters. Um, if anything, they're both evil in different ways. Uh, Fine's character obviously a lot more. Yeah. Uh, directly evil, but to pair these two together, you see that the message of the story is in 
what actions are you actually going to take in a circumstance? Uh, both of these characters benefit uh, from right, right. Uh, concentration camps, from from internment of, of, of the Jewish population in Poland at the time. Their actions as characters are what determines the story. And we see them placed together. They even like each other. They make excuses for each other in the circumstances. And their actions are what takes it up a notch. And also, again, by adding these two characters and putting them side by side, that's where the storytelling is, apart from this documentary feel, if that makes sense. Oh, I think that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And it's good that it's, it's, it'd be interesting to also read the text. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the fact that you're dealing with these characters that are so morally gray. Now, as we, like you said, Ralph mm-hmm. Fiennes. It's a straight up villain. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. But it's real realistic depiction of men in general. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice to see, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. In film, you know what I mean? I, I think so, because otherwise, this should just be straight on documentary. There needs mm-hmm. to be a story told, and uh, there is, uh, with still filling yeah. this, this, this dual role. Um, and I think it lies just plainly in the interactions they, they both have and are put together. Uh, even without this, though, the film really does an incredible job at showing the small population uh, or showing at this small population uh, of the Holocaust uh, and what they had to go through. Uh, like I mentioned, there are you know times that the film shifts almost entirely into documentary. In addition to the remarkable story of Schindler, I think I can appreciate the many real lives that this impacted. And for that reason, I don't really see there's uh, there's much to criticize here. I think in my early versions of my notes here and watching this film, I was maybe criticizing how cartoonish um, Ralph Fiennes' acting was at times. Okay, But again, I think we need that to draw a line of even more villainy to, you know, Oscar Schindler's implied villainy. You know, there, there's, there's more to it there. Would you have liked it if it kind of backed off a little bit more of that documentary feel? And really was more motion picture esque. I think so, but at the same time, it's not bad. Uh, it's not. It, it, okay. it doesn't prevent me from enjoying it. And, and if that's what the film's going after, to be a champion uh, for these people, mm-hmm. I, I think it does a phenomenal job. Okay. Uh, and and as that ties into Schindler's story, and folks at home, if you don't know this, I mean, I'm definitely not going to go into spoilers because of uh, it is a wonderful film to experience yeah, uh, yeah. for the first time. You know, there's. I think and part of me was going to knock this film for saying, uh, kind of pick a lane. I, I don't need, I, I either need documentary or I need storytelling. Sure, but yeah. I think some of the brilliance of it is in the juggling act of it and how much it can live in both lanes. Even though the the scenes that are dedicated to the documentary feel to, uh, to the Jewish population uh, of this, uh, at this time, it definitely is 100% documentary of uh, of of what they what they went through right right that said i think it does still add context though it may not play directly into you know the story as much as i would want it to uh, and I mean, don't get me wrong; it does play into the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it is it is the story, but I feel like there's times that um, it, it, it's it's choosing one side of the coin, uh, and more often than not, it's it's siding with that documentary feel. I think my preference is absolutely for more of a story focus. Yeah. But that's not to say that this is bad by whatsoever. Right. And very little and, and, to and, criticize. Right. And actually impressive that he balances it so well, Spielberg. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that he's actually able to do that because I could also see it being, if done poorly, it, a little annoying. Yeah, yeah. And like very much like you say, just pick a lane. Sure, sure. 
the the real world aspects of this right. are you know horrific. They're 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 very sad. So uh, switching to that story focus and like I said, brief optimistic tones around Neeson's mm-hmm. performance because yeah. from his perspective, he's he's on the rise. You know, he's an industrialist. I, I feel like again, sometimes in uh, in my early notes, I was marking down that scenes were kind of in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, but I really track a lot of it back because ultimately, I was not. I was not knocking in those notes either side of what this story is about. Uh, en- enjoyed both sides ultimately. Great. I just feel okay. like maybe it, uh, uh, not that it could have been blended together a little bit more, but um, I, it is It is a film that juggles multiple yeah. things yeah, yeah, ultimately. Yeah. Like I said, not a lot much more to criticize uh, than that, and I, and I do feel one side is stronger than the other, uh, but making a compelling story out of this was something I love to watch, and I found myself reflecting on it a lot. Of the you know the elevated uh, real life events, I, I found myself reflecting on does the story maybe just simply piggyback off of those real life events, but at the same time, more more of my notes on preference, not necessarily a criticism, and certainly a phenomenal film. We're gonna go ahead and give Schindler's List an eighty four. Whoa, mm, big one, a big one, but I'm shocked. It doesn't crack 85. Yeah, yeah. This is where we get into like small, small nuances. Okay. Maybe it's mean-spirited that I'm not putting it in a, in a watch list, but um, or a must-watch list. Well, it's a, uh, yeah, yeah. An 84 is still a <laughs> right. very, very good score. Yeah, it, exactly. There's very few 84s and above that we've we've rated. Yeah. But it's just funny because you hear this picture, mm. and everyone's mm. just, oh, one of the best pictures ever made, mm. one of the best pictures, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I feel like critics that look at it now automatically need to be in that camp. We talk about this often. Yep, yep. Where because something's so praised in the very beginning, now everyone go. just praises it. Bingo. Bingo. So I love that it got an 84. I'm still su- I'm surprised at it, but it's still a really good score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that goes into just, you know, uh, again, I mean, it, it, for a long, long time and, and still till today, I mean, 80s for me, uh, definitely considered must watch and, and, and great movie territory. Yeah. And, and this this hits on exactly that. Uh, a couple sentences on just Ben Kingsley and Caroline Goodall. Oh, Ben Kingsley was actually great in okay. this. Part of that... Um, Part of uh, maybe twisting some of that optimistic tone back to reality oh, okay. uh, with Schindler's. Um, and uh, who else? Caroline Goodall. Plays the lead, the lead female, basically. Um, uh, not anything that I noticed, but uh, uh, performances were great across yeah. the board, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing, there's, certainly not even in my proto notes was there anything like... Anybody you know, dragging it or lacking yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nowhere near. So let's take a um, let's take a big old turn. <laughs> the biggest this is 1997, tur- so we go from the Holocaust to Howard Stern's Private Parts. Uh, <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> sorry for the whiplash, folks. <laughs> um, 97. So so what was what was the, what was the thinking behind this one? Uh, Why so jump I, into Private Parts? I, I've been wanting to watch this. Okay. Uh, I watched this with uh, my brother-in-law, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just it's been on my list forever. Um, this was kind of also a little bit driven. I didn't get around to the film mm-hmm. yet, but Weird Al's the Weird Al Yankee. Yeah, I like story, that. Okay, I like that. Yeah, where it's like. Weird Al is voicing his character in this, though, Stern plays Stern. Yes. You know, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. think is uh, definitely the most impressive part about this film. So, so once again, based on the book, <laughs> <Private> <laughs> and now uh, you had not watched this, correct? No, I've never seen this which film. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's an hour and 49. Yeah. Uh, like you said, all the cast are playing the cast. Howard yep. is Howard. Robin is Robin. Yeah. Fred is Fred. Yeah. Getting into Howard Stern's early career, and what did you think of the film? I thought it was great. Uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, this is 
not a comedy from modern day, but uh, it is a comedy that works because in every moment that you say as as a watcher of this, oh no way did this happen. No, you know, no <laughs> way was he this outrageous. Guess what? It's reinforced by having the real people there, and there's a right. Uh, right. You know, it, it, there, there's a realism that comes to it. Uh, folks at home, I mean, of course, uh, Howard Stern, I don't know if it needs an introduction, but a name <laughs> synonymous with shock and self-described king of radio. Um, king of this, all media. King of all media now. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's upgraded it. <laughs> this is a auto-bio-flick uh, focusing on his career only up until the mid-80s, and that's a point that I'm going to return to. But like you said, Tom, starring Howard Stern, countless other real-life stars uh, who were and still in his life, and I, I think it is great. I, I It really is truly great having Stern play himself. You know, It is 100% the secret ingredient to this whole film the whole thing working yeah what's crazy is is like how good it sounds weird to be like oh he's really good at playing howard stern <laughs> yeah but there is like this is acting here yeah and he plays behind the camera very very well yeah really well absolutely absolutely uh, <laughs> even early on you know when he's playing his younger self he's like all right use your imagination a little bit it's just like all right this is great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and he's funny he's not he's not afraid to be the nerd he's not afraid to be uh, yeah. the geek in the beginning yeah make an ass out of himself by showing his ass and, and, and but also like showing how bad he was in the beginning too yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and like putting on wacky voices just for the radio, but how he takes that and he forms a new persona uh, with it. So, so the big question is: <clears throat> so Howard Stern, he's kind of not—I don't know if he's known for being difficult to work with, but he mm. doesn't work with very much like mm. other people or other projects. He's asked to be in movies constantly. Mm-hmm. So even with this, there was so much back and forth between this film and the production company and getting it right mm-hmm. that the he <laughs> he was very seriously considered that the film was going to keep him out of it. Oh. And you know who was seriously talked about to replace him? Really? Who? Jeff Goldblum. No way. No, he would have been phenomenal. It's a real story. He would have been so good he at it. would have been different. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, would have loved it. I think Blue, uh, Goldblum could have done that. It would have sure. been a. It would have been probably just as good of a movie for different for a completely different yes, reason. I think so. Um, I think so. But and of course, maybe would not hold up as well. Because again, I think the secret ingredient here is that. Uh, you know, outrageous things happen on screen, mm-hmm. uh, almost to the point that it feels like a, a raunchy early two thousands comedy. Uh, but there is a realism there, reinforced by the people being the the genuine article yeah. on screen. That you know, these are you know real events, which is uh, exactly what Howard said as well. Yeah, when he goes, if Jeff Goldblum was in it, it's just going to be a box office flop. Mm. And really, he said, if he wasn't in it, yeah. it would have been a box office bomb. Right, right. Uh, I'll get to some of my notes, but it, it, I can't. I couldn't shake the entire time that someone could very much read this as a self-puff piece for Howard. Uh, right. Someone that hated Howard Stern could watch this and be like, not revolted by like the vulgarity or the raunchiness of it, but this kind guy's of, stroking his own ego. Yeah, yeah, because it really is. I mean, he narrates the whole thing. It is very self-indulgent in some parts, you know. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like it for that reason. Yeah, because I, it's not overly like you said. He he dips into when he wasn't very good in the beginning like Mm -hmm. i think it's a very honest it's weird to say but honest telling of just like this and he listened he's got the voice his narration is great you know (laughs) right it it, it helps that they're in radio It, (laughs) it, it does they are in show business they're not complete rookies so but yeah uh this is uh like i said as far as the comedy very raunchy it is 100 percent comedy and and primarily because of the real people involved you know having robin play herself uh, and her first reactions to stern is key 
It it shows uh, the evolution of his collaborators. Collaborators like Fred Norris is key to how it all works. I also love how Fred Norris is just like in the background of every scene, like Silent Bob. Like it's (laughs) it's awesome. Uh, I I think where the comedy may not hit for some people, uh, or or maybe even specifically listeners today, is just how raunchy the film is. Uh, I think listener current listeners of Stern um, may not be familiar with how wild he was back in the eighties because I think Stern today is even drastically different than. And, I don't know pre pre two thousand eight Stern. I don't, I don't uh, know. Stern today is much different than than even post serious. Yeah, like yeah. from ten years ago, mm-hmm. he's way different than what he is today. Yeah, more interview um, focused. You know, less yeah, about but the bits. Even but- his content and how we tried to. Ch- he's, he's very much went through a big character change mm-hmm. purposely too. I mean, he's very everything he does is extremely calculated but yeah. trying to reach a new audience sure and I, yeah we don't have to get i have my own opinions on yeah, howard right, and right. his and his previous maybe 20 years and everything mm-hmm. like that but mm-hmm. overall different image 110 percent. yeah and i bring it up specifically uh, not for the rabbit hole of of his evolution sure uh i bring it up more so specifically that if you somehow haven't seen private parts and you are a current stern listener this may not be <laughs> this may not be yeah, the stern you know ex- you know realistically big time, big so, time. Uh, and i feel it was something to note um uh, I got a. I, I have some music notes this week, but this one was a big one because I think it is a perfect example of Forrest Gump syndrome. It is very much just taking the most popular hits of the time period and playing the most popular song as kind of a cheap world building attempt. I am going to give it a pass, though, and I know this is ridiculous that uh, you know I knock it as a as as the syndrome. I still haven't covered Forrest Gump, so <laughs> you know we'll get to it one day. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, it is about radio, so there is kind of an in-world explanation to, well, the radio wouldn't be playing deep-cut right. hits. They would be playing the most popular hits, so yeah. it does kind of make sense into it, and I got to say, I really do love the radio sequences. If anything, especially mm-hmm. the early days that he's not on his game yet, Yeah, it reminds me of what I love about kind of a good morning Vietnam. I like seeing radio done. I like seeing the inner workings of it. Or, oh, that's a great point. You know, calling the producer. Also, thanks for the show of seeing how Robin is in a separate booth. And I guess they still keep up with that today. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, big time. You yeah. know, little things like that. And I think there's a lot of identity to the show. So, uh, or, or his show that he creates. So, it is a very interesting radio, uh, radio film, radio movie because. I mean, Stern is probably the most controversial character. So seeing people lose their lid, <laughs> primarily Paul Giamatti, who is, okay. is rage incarnate. <laughs> can we talk about Paul Giamatti? <laughs> can we stop being around the bush <laughs> and talk about Giamatti? He's wonderful in this. He's he is so, so unbelievable. He's so good. You can see where his character of 12 Years a Slave is. <laughs> I mean, all of his just classic, bad, crazy moments mm-hmm. in film. He's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's really great in this. Uh, uh, I would say he's definitely the highlight among the performances because I don't know. Everyone else is just real people, you know. Pretty right, much. Right. I mean, there's a, there are actors, of course, but there are a surprising amount of roles are just people in Howard's life. I also loved. The transition in chapters, uh, we have these scenes showing 1997 Howard Stern show right. and collaborators of 97. 
you could look at this and be watching the film and chalk it up and say, eh, you know, all right, you know, it kind of shows, uh, you know, what, what the current day Stern show maybe is, is about in these chapter segments. But I really loved it because there was a very intentional switch up in camera style. It switches to like this messy mm. digital hand cam look because obviously they're, you know, it's about filming on the streets of New York and whatnot right. and, and getting, you know, crazy personalities. Uh, and I just, I, I just loved that the chapter marks were visually different. Uh, a, a minor note, uh, probably for some, it was a big note for me though, because not only did we get a peek into, well, this is where the Stern Show is now, or at the time of yeah, the yeah. film, uh, but we also, you know, there, there was a visual difference. There was a visual language difference with that, which I, I just really enjoyed. I thought there were vi- uh, cool, creative decision there. And man, what a weird artifact of Stern's life. This is pre-divorce. This is pre-satellite. Yeah, I can't help, when I really think of it, I can't help but think at the end of his career, we will get a second film from here capping the second mm. iteration of kind of his life. I, I think it's a shame he he didn't maybe just wait a little bit longer because I feel like even the arc of the film, having satellite radio be the end destination mm-hmm. would have been a perfect cherry on top, honestly. Yes. Now, uh, you have to think when he came back, it was the cherry on top sure, because he sure. was the number one guy, yada, yada, yada. Now, mm-hmm. had he wait 10 years because I think he came to Sirius in 08. Yes. So it is another 10 years it would have had to wait. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I do agree where now it, it seems like there's so much lacking from the story. Yeah. Uh, that we're almost waiting for a part two, private parts. Yeah, yeah. Although it would be much more boring, I think. Yeah, and just how much, right, right. Uh, how much it, it also depends on the story of his marriage and then the reality of that mm-hmm. is that it ends right. in divorce, I think, like maybe like two or three years later. Right. Again, it's just, I, I couldn't help but see this as an artifact of Stern's life. Man, uh, let me tell you, uh, maybe it's just, you know, don't write your own biography until you're on your deathbed, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, interesting for a lot of different reasons. I'll end with this. Uh, like I said, I think this could very well be seen as a puff piece. People that hate Stern could criticize it for that reason. And he's, he's very self-congratulatory in this, but that's also Stern. Yeah. The comedy, by the nature of Stern, again, is not a comedy that will be looked on favorably in today's culture. But that really is the reason why I loved how many real people were in this film, because, like I said in the beginning, you see something ridiculous, you say, no way did that happen, this is just trying to be as outrageous as possible, and guess what? You then realize this actually did happen by the many real people on the set uh, and and kind of reinforcing the story. So uh, I don't think it's a good comedy watch because of the outrage, because of the raunchiness. It's a good comedy because of the unbelievable career that Stern had and the people around him that stuck with him. We're going to go ahead and give Private Parts a 72. Ooh, okay, 72. Yeah. And believe me, I shaking in my boots a little bit because, <laughs> again, this will not fly uh, on a lot of, you know, current comedy or anything like that. Yeah, but who cares? It's a great comedy. I have a Tommy Two Shoes for this. Wow, I've seen wow. it. A, I have I, a just, bunch. I've yeah, I've seen it a handful of times. You are a Stern fan. So. Uh, at one point, I was okay. Yeah, at one point, I was. I I was um, listening to Stern pretty good, but not so much mm, for a number of years now. Sure, sure. So I would say. 
I love the pacing of the film. Okay. First of all, it is funny. I think the acting is great. Yeah. Which is funny to say. It's like it's almost like a no duh, but at the same time, it's like yeah. They, I don't know. It works. It works yeah. more than you think it would. And even of. like Robin and like supporting, yeah, if you just will. Very, like, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one. Just when the cameras are on and not just the mics, it's a very. It's just they just do a good job. Everyone mm. does a really nice job. The pacing is really good, and there's not much I would say needs to be cut. So, for instance, when you look at massive weight of unbearable talent. Mm. Which was the Nick Cage movie, yes, kind of yeah. about Nick Cage, but not about Nick Cage. And mm-hmm. There were elements of that I absolutely loved, and I gave that two shoes, no laces. Mm-hmm. But there was fat to trim. There seemed like there was there was areas that could have been much more funnier, but they just kind of dropped off the table. Sure, this didn't have that. Yeah, it's fun. You know, whether you're the biggest Stern fan or not, it is a good story. It's mm-hmm. done well. That is comedy. Yeah, the pacing is great. I like the writing as well with the acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I give it two shoes. One of them, one of them tied. Wow, one, one of, of the them laces tied. tied. Yeah. Wow. Excellent, excellent. I love that. Yeah, I, I just thought it was good. I thought it was tight, good little comedy, and it's something that people shouldn't sleep on, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I, I just, I, I'm concerned with, <laughs> you know, someone that doesn't know Stern at all walking into this, doesn't know the, the legacy yeah, but of that's Stern. Yeah, that's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know what the deal is a little bit. <laughs> all right. I mean, enough. Howard Stern should have a name for He's being. He's naked on the cover, so I guess, yeah, you kind of know what's up. I think it's. I think it's fine. I think people, generally speaking, if they're going to approach this at all, have some sort of idea of Howard Stern. Sure, sure. You know what I mean. And I would say this much. I mean, uh, Stern fans, if you haven't seen it, I think this is a must-watch because I mean, it's it's not more Stern. You know what I mean? It is. It is one hundred percent him. And there's not that many radio films out there. It's very true. Very true. And and why why I think I even noted it. You know, I, it's something I enjoy in Good, Vo- Good Morning Vietnam. I, I like radio. What would be I a like... top five? What would be an essential radio film? <laughs> Good Morning Vietnam and this. <laughs> <laughs> it's private parts. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's 72 for a private parts fin. Pretty damn good score there. Yep. Folks at home, we want to remind everybody, we're going on the value for value model. So you find in this value, uh, valuable, you find in the site valuable. If you could, you go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and through monetary support, you can send whatever amount that you want, uh, and it's based on your value that you're getting. Send it a note along with it, too, and we'll read it here on air. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a way for this to kind of keep on going as as the listenership goes up and people start da- donating more and more it's how vin and i are going to keep this going mm-hmm. we don't want to throw ads in your face we, we don't want to be sellouts and just shilling products to you oh they would shut down it's this a waste watch of time. week watch week as well they say what private parts between till and <laughs> schindler's what are you doing you know where but we the, can do what we want now. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't do a tier uh, system either you know what i mean we're not going to give you some and if you pick, give us more money you, you get a little bit more mm-hmm. everybody is on their own financials and you know what I mean so any little bit that you have or want to give or finding valuable just send it our way through uh, the dailyratings.com we appreciate it so much and we're excited to grow this with you and uh, just have a great product to you and and more and more value coming your way in the mm-hmm. future so mm-hmm. we thank you all for that okay so going from private parts <laughs> to back to the heavy uh, to another heavy film <laughs> <laughs> I can't even make a joke about it. I was yeah, make honestly, a joke about it. honestly, yeah, we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't even joke. So we're in the, the newly released now, and this came out, the release of this is a little weird. You can still find it in very select theaters. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be on, on digital release soon. This film is called Till, mm-hmm. 
And it's following the family and specifically the mother of Emmett Till. Yes. yes. And Vin, if we can get into this a little bit of just the story and what exactly within this two hour and 10 minutes are we covering? Sure, sure. And I, I think uh, that's in the execution of this film, why why I'm so positive on it is that it doesn't really go the way that you think it's going to go. And nonetheless, uh, I'll say this again uh, towards the end, it really has a laser focus. I mean, this film did not waver in tone once, and that was just so refreshing, uh, where so much uh, in the modern film landscape is about shoving in inappropriate comedy or, or, or some agenda or anything like that. I mean, this film did not waver on... You know anything of its tone, so so the seriousness, the seriousness, but also the story it was trying to tell, which was more about the motherhood here, like and what it's like to be the mom, yeah, of a person like Emmett Till. And exactly. for those of you listening, just in, sure. in case, I mean, everyone probably knows the story, but just reminded Emmett Till, horrible. He was wrongfully accused mm-hmm. of a crime and was uh, just brutally lynched, basically. Yes, and yes. it was uh, not that long ago. It was in the 50s, correct? Uh, 55. Yeah. Uh, you're a 14-year-old boy. You know, a tough, tough view on, on, I believe it was Mississippi specifically, of how kind of the Jim Crow era racism of the South uh, created a different world uh, for, for people of color. It, it, it's a tough story because I, I think in lesser hands... This could have easily been about just the boy. It shows that he has a big personality. Shows how, how that big personality gets him into trouble. Uh. And then the finale is, you know, obviously the horrible crimes. Instead, we are focusing on the the mother, Mamie. And uh, I, I think it is a brilliant way to go about this because instead of any sort of even slight glorification uh, or highlighting you know a in in a kind of a story arc way building up to that moment mm-hmm. it's about what's happening after it and and how she takes that into activism and how she deals with it as a grieving mother so. yeah so when does it exactly pick up do we get a, just a quick synopsis almost of what happened no it, we, it is in the film okay. it, uh, i would say 40 minutes in we're finally done with what maybe the outsider knowledge or audience knowledge would be of okay. the events okay gotcha uh, so uh, uh, and, and once again, I mean, these first three films kind of fit into a mixed documentary slot as well because of just how much they're trying to aim after accuracy and reality uh, to to the story. So it's a heavy film for two hours and ten minutes. Uh, it is. It is. Well, at least it's not three fifteen like well, Schindler's List. Very so true, it's, yeah. it's it's got an advantage there. Danielle Do- Deadweiler uh, was honestly a powerhouse in this. Uh, not only was she able to bring the weight of a grieving mother, but then in a tasteful way, uh, switching that drive into creating a story about her activism. Mm. Uh, this is what I mean by does not waver in tone. Uh, it's not all of a sudden she's going on a vendetta uh, for her son. Uh, this is not driven by by anything other than her wanting justice uh, for her son. The tone here and the message of the story is really all about her motherhood and what she has to go through in that motherhood. And I thought it was it was phenomenal for that reason. Hmm. Like I said, Till's mother, Mamie, uh, she has her own story to tell, and I think it is a heartful perspective to take for the film. Yeah, the kid actor uh, Jalen Hall plays Till Emmett Till, and believe me, he does a good job. 
uh, in the short time he's on screen, but I think focusing on him would be a big mistake uh, for many reasons. Uh, more focus on a child actor, I think, would make this whole experience a little bit weaker. Yeah, I'm sure Especially definitely. for uh, reportedly or, or allegedly the big personality that Till was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of uh, in, in ways intentionally grading, and that kind of what gets him into trouble in the first place. Again, I just think you put this from the kid's perspective, yeah, it can do it justice. Yes, it can do the story justice. I think it becomes a lot more predictable, uh, us knowing the destination and us focusing on the child or the victim uh, around here. And instead, let's switch the focus. Let's tell a story that we may not know as an audience. Uh, And I think that was a a wonderful perspective to take on this motherhood, um, if that makes sense. No, I think definitely um, because the whole point of this is till the mom, the, yes. you know, the, the mom. So I think it's important to not – it's weird to say not shed so much light on the actual events mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell this, this aftermath story and what it's like to be a mother in this position, mm-hmm. I think it's important to almost – again, it's weird to say put to the side. Sure, sure, But it's what needs to be done if this story needs to be told. Yeah. And there is so much aftermath that happens and even like like the Till case got reopened in the early th- 2000s. And, uh, yes, and, like, I believe a whole, so. a whole new like a dump of information about it mm-hmm. thanks to like reporting and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big story to be told after – the events of Emmett. Mm-hmm. So, yep, yep. but for that forty-five minutes that he's in it, it he he plays the character well. Uh, he does, and but but really, it's again, it's it is. I, I, forty-five minutes is even too uh, generous okay, uh, to that right. perspective. It is all about the mother, okay. honestly, one hundred percent. So, and unlike a you know, again, not not knocking the child actor, I think he does a good job for the short time he's on the screen. Uh, Deadweiler, uh, as an actress, is fully capable of holding the focus for this. And um, again, this motherhood focus is a great dramatic element mm. and telling kind of a a story that it's not not like if it was focused on the kid we couldn't get behind it as an audience but I think there's a much more empathetic uh, tone uh, that is there by leading through motherhood that almost yeah. everyone can, yep. can you know uh, get choked up over or or, or really uh, you know again lean into the empathy of the of the story uh, I think this is absolute Oscar nod territory for Best Actress and uh, may just be a front runner among Blanchette and DeArmas for what that's worth. So uh, I'll be very curious to see what that is because speaking frankly, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, not always something I uh, I pay a, you know a huge amount of attention to, but I think we have some exciting front runners this year. I actually love the license soundtrack. Uh, uh, believe it or not, I, I, I there's a lot of deep cut blues and rock, and I was I was very impressed with the selection here. Uh, there's also some care in the slight nuances of the style of music we hear, depending if we're in Chicago versus Mississippi, and I thought that was again uh, a a nice choice, uh, a, a nice follow through there was there was much more care put into it than just okay we're in 55 what kind of music are we hearing on the radio that's our world building no there was there was much more care put into specifically where our characters location based yeah exactly so i always like that too because i'm a big fan of like old blues as you know of course like like 30s 40s 50s blues Mm -hmm. and it's incredible how different it is from louisiana to texas to memphis and chicago and it's nice to hear that yeah, it's cool that that they take that care and consideration. I, absolutely, because there are differences. Not saying that, it, like I don't know, was it period pieces being played or was it more southern 
bluesy type music or transitional or what, what kind of was it yeah I, I think it was more so just showing a difference uh, just how in the mentality uh, of these characters there is a difference in you know how they see racial inequality right uh, it, it's baked into the music music well. choices themselves I'm talking about like the songs themselves were they of the time yes absolutely oh okay that's absolutely. what I was asking All right. but still showing the differences and yeah, how, yeah, yeah. And how the, uh, the different styles of blues the different styles of rock and roll and again that plays into the kind of overarching message is that the the Jim Crow era it plays into a different world entirely mm-hmm. and yeah. there's a lot of emphasis in this film of when she travels down south it is like entering into a new reality uh, just good follow through you yeah. know uh, not for nothing it was it was something that I noted and again I kind of honed in on uh, so uh, this film is a class act though uh, and and really handled flawlessly I mean flawlessly uh, not it, it it did not waver once in tone nothing was in poor taste and and laser focus is really where I I, I kind of come into this you know I I, I kind of flip-flopped watching this at first I felt that the grieving was too much for the film but halfway in I still you know I, I still didn't see how uh, Deadweiler you know needs to use her son for a drive for activism but by the end I found myself missing how personal that sadness was and how personal of a story of motherhood this film was and and the wonderful acting brought to the story uh, to incorporate motherhood into the tragedy and again on Deadweiler's shoulders much like uh, other two films this week this film has a dual role as a documentary, but uh, Till's mother's story uh, is what takes this up a notch uh, and definitely into a great movie. We're going to go ahead and give Till an 80 on the dot. Oh, wow. 80. Oh, yeah. This was very good. Wow, that's a very good score, Vin. Yeah. Well, I'm glad uh, you liked it so much. And is it weird to say, just because of what's happening today in media landscape and everything like that, mm-hmm. was, it a, was it trying to play on a lot of current strife or... Honestly, no. Uh, okay, and and, that, and that's where I say I would want you know, it to be period exactly and time of and, yeah if only if only for the respect to Emmett Till uh, and that's what I mean it did not waver once there was nothing mm-hmm. handled in poor taste and that I was just so refreshed by that right because uh, the story itself is message enough exactly it doesn't need to be extra bringing in current events of sure. any type or, or those one-liners or comments or things exactly. like that that's exactly. good that's definitely good you know it is about telling the story at the time uh and 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 what mamie till um did as a result of that and it really is her story equally okay so. all right vince so that is till with an 80 percent very good score yes wow yes and believe good me surprise and you, I, and you I, managed to see this in theaters correct yes, yes. okay so like as it has a very weird release um yeah it took, this was it took, Technically, like early October in in some limited release, but then and then know. it right then it blew up and well, not blow up in theaters, but then sure. it was in a decent amount of theaters late October mm-hmm. into November, and it's still around. It's just a little bit more difficult, or you know, might be that weird showing or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but till give it a watch. Okay, so now uh, we'll go from mother grieving to <laughs> love and weird. Love and weird. Yeah, this yeah. is bones and all. Is emo a dr- love film. <laughs> Bones and All, this is directed by uh, someone that we're, we've been with before. This mm-hmm. is Luca Guadino. Mm-hmm. And what do we get with this romance kind of coming of age love story? Our boy Timmy Chalamet is in it. Yes, very teen focused. This was uh, a, lot of, a lot of teens on, on Friday, Friday night dates. Which, which right off the bat, <laughs> when I saw this film, it, I almost – talk about typecasting. Mm. He's getting into a lot of these roles. Yeah. And I think he should come out of it soon. Well, I mean, people want to see him in that. You know, he definitely – 
represents the uh, right. the the craze right now. The uh, the sad skinny nicotine boy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so hot right now. But you know, this one is. so what do we get on this <laughs> two hour and eleven journey? Here? Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that you got you got all the all the runtime styled in. <laughs> we set it off high with three hours and fifteen. So, um, but yeah, Guadagnino, uh, a, a director that we've covered um, uh, in recent history. He did the remake for Suspiria in two thousand eighteen, uh, and then on the podcast we covered "Call Me by Your Name" uh, for Timothy Chalamet himself. Timmy Boy, yep. yeah, Timmy Boy. Uh, my initial thoughts and feelings on this it kind of reminded me of Lost Boys for some reason. I think for hmm. I, I definitely I don't have a great reason after seeing the film of that, but I still kind of feel the same in the sense that it's like this alt horror, if you will. Okay. Alt, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I, I don't know. Coming of age, and certainly Pretty Boy Timmy Chalamet adds to that draw for a teen audience. I didn't have any experience with Taylor Russell, uh, but she had a similar vibe and uh, drawing in a very young crowd to the theater. But um, I'm here for it all, folks. <laughs> and <laughs> Bones and All is a sad romance thriller. Each of those three words really have equal real estate in this film, and it's, a, it's an interesting juggling act. We follow Russell. Uh, she is a teen girl forced to pick up and leave her life behind many times. The reason? A mysterious hunger and a dark quirk in her mind that leads to a, a very grim desire. Where the story opens up is when she finds out she's not alone, nowhere close, actually. Uh, and along her exploration, we meet many new faces, some safe and others to steer clear from. And that's where we kind of get, again, this this melancholy, very sad, I don't want to use overuse coming of age, but it is uh It is kind of romance. that, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did um, she get, was she sending off, like, Zendaya vibes? Uh, maybe. She's younger, though. Uh, I think okay. by a good couple of years, though. She was in, I believe, Waves, which I never saw, but okay. apparently a good, uh, a good film. Okay. So, um, so how is... Chalamet's and and Taylor Russell's kind of connection on screen do they vibe well I think they do I think they are in the right vibe for the entire film which is sad okay. oh. which is melancholy <laughs> and the film doesn't really try to do anything else uh, but uh, but yeah I, I think they do they do vibe well together it's just it's it's a it's a very twisted story and i think the few comforts we have in this story is when they're both on screen okay if that makes sense yeah absolutely is it a weird how does this balancing act then go between this weird and uncomfortable <laughs> to kind of this love romance like what is it, it is it flirting poorly with everything or uh, it, it's it's no it, it's driven by stress it's driven by shame okay too. uh i would say a lot of the depressing elements are based around shame and i'll, I'll get into that in just a moment um but yeah, I mean, you know, this coming of age story structure, you know, it's it's Marin finding out about herself and finding how others deal with this hunger. Um, so it's also a big focus in coming to terms with how how you have any sort of life, no less uh, ethical or not. Uh, it's about finding out how to survive a little bit. And there's always this kind of underline of self-hatred that the characters have that the tone lives in. Uh, the film's tone definitely lives in this moody, rooted depression and shame. And for that reason, don't get me wrong, very slow film. A little bit longer than it should be. Yeah, two hours and ten sounds like a long film for something like this. Just for this. Like an yeah. hour and 45 probably or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed a lot 
of the style here. For instance, I enjoyed the retro feel to the film. It takes place in the 80s, but not like a neon-soaked 80s. It's like small-town vibe. Okay. You feel it in the minimal but select soundtrack. Joy Division is among the licensed music. Mm. None other than Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross uh, do the score. So, you know, their roots from Nine Inch Nails playing into this kind of moodiness here. The costume wardrobe. Actually, a highlight. Uh, not not something I. That's could, what I was going to say. Did pull off the eighties pretty well. Yeah, and, and like small time. It's 80s. Specifically, it's like it's like Salvation Army chic. Everyone looks like a junkie, <laughs> and it's it's good because it sells this idea that they're kind of on the fringes of society and they're forced into those fringes of society. Okay. Uh, I find myself always appreciating the world building that Guadagnino does, um, and this was the same highlight going back to Call Me By Your Name as well, uh, that I loved the academic kind of setting of Oh, that. yes, you did. That's yeah. right, yeah. So uh, the, here, very similarly, there's a lot of care put into that world building, but unfortunately, just a good bit too slow. It's, it's a little bit way too long, actually. <laughs> 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 and it's, it's, it's a lot because... You know, I mean, there are just things in the second act that should have happened in the second act, and then there are things in the last minutes of the film that should have been in the second act. <laughs> like, oh, okay. It's, it's. I don't know. It's. I, I didn't look too much into the writing of this. Mm-hmm. I think this might have been a book as well. Yeah, right. So, yeah, based on a book. I don't know if it's maybe a, that's the theme. They're all books. Oh, there you go. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. We'll go. We find Tail, out. Kind of. But yeah. 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 There's there's just some misopportunities with pacing. There's also uh, a few misopportunities around the mystery of what causes the hunger and things to set the story up are just not called back on and in in a good way. And it's like, all right, well, why did we bother with that as well? And what's my line? It's we got to trim the fat. Yeah, that, those type of things are. Fat. Yeah, definitely. So if you're not going to call back to it, don't bother setting it up with the characters. Let me just say, there's a healthy trigger warning here for how gory the film is. But uh, much like the film Crimes of the Future, uh, I would say it uses the extreme to tell an intimate story and conjures a very unique atmosphere. I wasn't a huge fan of this, but I think this lives very much in the space uh, of where I've ranked the director before. We're going to go ahead and give Bones and All a 66. Okay, 66. Yeah, not terrible, but, you know, it's definitely for maybe a more targeted audience. Yeah, yeah. I, I think especially... Um, you know, today's teen demographic can probably connect with the moodiness yeah. uh, of this film a lot more. Almost so so much so that the sadness, like I was feeling bad for the the teen dates uh, that were in the off- audience. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what they were in the mood for and for it, a good time, right? And it's weird that it takes this horror kind of play, like you said. If it's mm-hmm. that gory, I mean, that's mm-hmm. for you to say that. A little yep. trigger warning. Yeah, yeah. It's also kind of interesting, and maybe. Go see it in theaters. It's in a bunch of theaters. It's only in theaters right yeah. now. It's not doing well, so it might not last too long. But yeah. if it's something that might intrigue you, go see it soon. And honestly, I mean, as much as you and I poke fun at Timothy Chalamet, uh, I like him. He's a good actor. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. and he's good in this. I, no, know? I absolutely. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yes. Yeah. He was just the darling for a bit and getting all the roles. Right, right. But luckily, what's his Spider Man took his place a little bit now. Spider-Man. He seems to be in everything. <laughs> okay, Vin. So again, that was in theaters. Now it's only in theaters. Unlike this next one. So this is Spirited. We have a mm. Christmas film. This is an Apple original film, which doesn't typically bode well for us <laughs> right. uh, or for Vin. Anytime I have to go through the nightmare of it's... canceling my <laughs> subscription with them. <laughs> okay. It's Will Ferrell. It's Ryan Reynolds. It's a take on Charles Dickens, kind of. It's rehashing the same story. Christmas di- Carol. Yeah, yeah. yeah but just mm-hmm. differently done. How are these two 
what was it like returning to this property? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. The first thing I heard about this film <laughs> was that it was really good. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to say oh, who's, I'm not going to say whoa. who said it. I'm not going to say who said it. But I was told, I was informed that it was really good and better than the adaptation or like Scrooges that was done by Bill Murray. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Some and, years. yeah, there's, I mean, countless adaptations of Christmas Carol. Right. So. Exactly right. Uh, what do we get here with these two? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Ryan Reynolds, so. <laughs> right, right. Uh, my note is podcast favorite, Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> Oh boy, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, folks. <laughs> I I really did. I had to watch this with family too. There's a good chance they may be listening to this. I thought this film was god awful. Um, <laughs> I thought this was this was just a, a, an absolute pulling teeth to get through. Um, <laughs> Sean Anders, uh, writer and director, uh, that if you're familiar with Will Ferrell, you might be familiar with him. He did the Daddy's Home movies uh, and a few other comedies that you'll probably recognize yeah very much cat comedy director yeah, he yeah. does like horrible bosses yep yep bingo um and that's really all he does is comedies yeah and uh Which, <laughs> some of those films could be all right sure sure i no judgment on, on the, we are we are locked in for spirited here so <laughs> uh, like i said podcast favorite ryan reynolds to be the co-lead for the apple tv movie this is a full-blown christmas musical and while in how many episodes we're at? 60? This is number 60, yeah. Wow. Congratulations, number- by the way, man. Oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, in 60 episodes, folks, I've been pretty positive on musicals. This one I absolutely hated. This is what people warn about musicals. This is what yeah. people say, oh, I don't like musicals. This is it. Yeah. You know? Well, I hate musicals. Yeah, exactly. So this yeah. you will. I hate most musicals. <laughs> so I will definitely hate this. I think, I mean, you could surprise me with a with a Tommy Two Shoes here, but I, I'll tell oh, you. Oh, I wish. <laughs> okay, okay. I heard it today. I heard the, I would have watched it. <laughs> no, I heard the review today from somebody. Just, just, to, just to surprise me, but. Uh, How was the singing of Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds? Terrible trash oh really oh yeah so bad uh let, let me <laughs> i don't know why i'm surprised by that <laughs> yeah, oh really yeah. i mean just not their strong suit you know i mean despite our feelings on either of the actors i mean i like will ferrell you know fine ryan reynolds it's complicated uh, <laughs> <laughs> for you not complicated on this side of the table <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um but the dancing and the singing it's just not their strong suit yeah. so it doesn't play into a good movie uh it, it's 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 i don't know this story is yet another retelling of christmas carol like we said and uh this time with a kind of a modern meta quality to the jokes um christmas carol uh, as a as a story exists within the universe um in this film we follow kind of a men in black style cheerful organization christmas organization responsible for cheerful holiday turnabouts including the original scrooge Ryan Reynolds' character is the latest project for the team, and uh, you know he meets the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. So in that, it is mm-hmm. very much you know a Christmas Carol. Um, Wolf Ferrell, uh, I would say, echoes a little bit of what made him great in like something like Elf, you know, okay, um, which is a, a good hit. Uh, and I think Will Ferrell was a little bit more acceptable than than Reynolds, but Reynolds is just really an outsider. And and both of them, to the singing, to the dancing, it just is an outsider. Uh, it's just not their strong suit. 
Uh, and I just could not. <laughs> it's two hours and seven minutes, too. It's, oh, it's my not, God. It's not an hour and a half Christmas I film. I know. It's so drawn out. <laughs> it's so drawn out. Oh, man. Um, I can safely say both are pushed into heavy musical sequences and heavy dance sequences. Uh, and, uh, I, I mean, if I really want to be honest, I thought they were both terrible. Uh, <laughs> I thought they were both terrible. Uh, you know, call me call me the Grinch, but uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's what it is. There's also a disgusting amount of a cheap CGI sets that are used that constantly and make the whole film look like total garbage, honestly. There is a sequence where Octavia Spencer walks outside uh, singing about the cool Manhattan air, and the city looks like the fakest thing oh. I've ever seen scene i mean i hate this like probably you know cgi and soap operas on tv could probably do the backdrop better it is a cheap (laughs) cheap green screen shot on a soundstage movie and it just looks real bad uh i would have rather the backgrounds be painted tom Uh, i I kid you not Uh, oh it almost would have added in a good way yeah or 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 in a weird way yeah to the kind of the musical element of it the musical theater of it yeah uh yeah Uh, i mean man just really did not like it. We're going to uh, have to do good Christmas movies. Well, Beca- stay tuned next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, yeah. Although not surprising. I mean, it's an Apple original. <laughs> right. I mean, at right. this point, Hulu's doing better with their originals. True, true. I would say so. I mean, we now have the full year of 2022, and I would, I would definitely say so. But all of that is just the start because the music oh. is what I hate the most oh. about this film. I had to do research on this because <laughs> I don't know, normally criticize music as much as I do with film. I am not a music expert. Uh, but the songs in this were just the most generic musical theater garbage that I've ever heard. Um, the, the duo is uh, Benji Pazek and Justin Paul, or Pazek and Paul is what they refer to as, as kind of a songwriting duo. Okay. And it's a shame because they do good things. They did uh, La La Land. They did uh, Greatest Showman, which got Oscar uh, nods for, or Oscar wins, I believe. Wow. Man, uh, all of the music, I mean, all of it is the How most... How was the score? The score was done by Dominic Lewis. Yeah, different. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. I'm I'm aimed specifically at the songs. I'm okay, aimed at the you. musical element of okay. this. Um, <laughs> and it's just the most generic musical theater garbage I have heard in years. Every track is painfully plain. All of it sounds exactly the same. Believe me, I understand that. That aspect of everything sounding the same is a critique to Christmas music in general. Uh, but. No, each song here was the same identical upbeat motif, the same exact moment where someone stops singing to say a line and speak a line yeah. uh, out of nowhere. It's all just so bland. Oh my God. It's so bad. It's I would hate this so movie. bad. Oh man. <laughs> And, and, and you know, it's just just not the strong suit of act of these actors. Um the dance well, of Ryan these- Reynolds. What's the strong suit of Ryan Reynolds? Comedy, at least. Really? I don't think that guy has ever made me laugh on screen once. <laughs> that's that's why. But anyway, anyway. It wasn't up in the air for you. <laughs> it may be up in the air for me. But yeah. You know, the dance musical numbers are just packed with dozens and dozens of backup dancers because the front line is so boring. And yeah, you have no actual talent in this <laughs> realm. Well, as far as as far as singing, dancing, sure. it's just not their strong. It's, it's just not their strong suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and like I said, disappointing for me to see Pazek and Paul. Not that I really understood their names or what they what project they were attached to, but um, seriously, you would not catch me dead listening to this on Christmas ever, <laughs> ever. Okay. 
<laughs> not <laughs> would not catch me dead listening to this. So, Tom, it's my Christmas wish. Please don't watch this film. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is a torture that I endured even one second of these songs stuck in my head after watching this. Uh, and that that effort cannot go to waste. Watch literally any other Christmas movie <laughs> this Christmas season. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and give Spirited a 29. Woo! All right. <laughs> he's, so, he's, he's so excited. Okay, 29%. What a way to end the, the, the episode here, yeah, Ben. Yeah, yeah. So stay away from Spirited. I <laughs> Not that anyone was clamoring for it. I mean, let's. I mean, probably Apple money paycheck, right? Uh-huh. And not only that, if you it, Elf, the funny thing is, is Elf is probably uh, the last true classic Christmas movie sure, that came out. Sure. If you can't, I don't think you can name another Christmas movie since then that has become a quote unquote classic. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly you, not with the the reverence of Elf or anything like that. I mean, like that's what I'm Elf well, is, yeah, yeah. Elf is probably the last one. And everyone loves it. So if you want, well, that's the whole point. So mm-hmm. if you want a good. Will Ferrell Christmas, go put on Elf. There's even singing at the end of it with Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Tom, let me tell you, though. I mean, these songs. I would hate These this songs. Movie. It's it's like. And then they they always have this spoken word line, just like. And maybe. And then it goes back into the song. Yeah. Oh, it's so annoying. And every and single it's, song and is it, the same yeah. formula. And it's been done. Yeah. Oh, oh man. I, I was like. Whew. <laughs> All right, so not not the best Christmas musical. It's a shame because, like you said, we have a very structured December. <laughs> yeah, we so do. So I know that White Christmas will not be on the list <laughs> yet again. Yet again. Yet again. <laughs> but uh, spirited stay away from folks with a 29%. Uh, yeah, yeah. Vin, looking at this array of films here we have, anything else you want to touch on, last comments, or we're going to roll credits here? No, uh, well, I'm really only, uh, the only note I have is that I'm very excited for the weeks to come. We got some good episodes lined up for December, so excited to to watch the movies, but also bring to all the folks at home. Yeah, we have some fun stuff planned, uh, folks, especially for the end of the year. We'll do, we'll do a little special and everything like that. It's just going to be a good time, mm-hmm. and pretty packed, movie packed, that's for sure. Uh, Vin, thank you so much for watching these films. Thanks for stopping by. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time. We have Schindler's List with an 84%, Private Parts with a 72, Till with an 80, Bones and All with a 66, and Spirited with a 29%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would... Could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.